I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know how you love eating your raw, balanced and complete meals every day. Well, we're jumping on Zoom now to speak to Morag Sutherland, who is a veterinary nurse, quite a famous veterinary nurse, and she is one of the founders of the Raw Vet Feeding Society. Morag Sutherland, welcome to A Dog's Life and Happy New Year. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and Happy New Year to you as well, of course. Well, it's an honour that you're chatting on A Dog's Life because you're a gateway to kind of everything I believe in and have championed for for over 20 years, which is in a nutshell, raw food feeding. That's fantastic. And the support of people like yourself who are talking about it publicly is so, so, so valuable because, as you well know, there's an awful lot of negativity about it in the veterinary profession. And yet lots of us understand why it's so very, very important for our dogs. Yes, well, it really is. And it doesn't cease to annoy me, actually, (laughs) rather than amaze, um, is that there's still this reluctance with so many GP vets at the moment to, you know, even have a discussion about feeding your dog on a basically a species appropriate diet, Morag. Well, I think I can share some very, very positive news about that, which is a lovely thing to do at the beginning of the year. And um, we recently went to the London Vet Show, which is a very big um, continuing professional development event for veterinary surgeons and veterinary nurses and lots of others of the practice team as well. And the Royal Feeding Veterinary Society and Royal Safe were invited to attend because the organisers had so many questions about were receiving so many questions about raw food feeding, species appropriate nutrition and everything. And quite incredibly, we were joking that we'd have to supply everybody that helped us with tin hats and flak jackets. Absolutely, that wasn't the case at all. We had nothing but positive questions from general practitioner vets saying things like, well, I don't really believe in raw feeding, but I've got lots of clients who are doing it, so I want to know more about it. Or, you know, I'm aware that my clients are doing this and it's something that I'm interested in now. How do I learn more? And that is such a... We were absolutely blown away by the positivity, which is really good. So things are changing, hopefully. Yes, well, I mean, it is about time, really. Um, You know, I mean, when you, you know, look at how the parallel is being highlighted in a way on a human level, you know, there's much much more out there now about the human microbiome and its relationship to, you know, the brain and dementia and why eating fresh foods, you know, is better than eating loads of, you know, high street, I won't name any brands, but, you know, the sort of things I mean, uh, burgers, Um, you know, that it's easier, I certainly find in talking to people myself, you know, that it's easier to 
get the message across really that you know why would you feed yourself like that but your dog you know not like that when you love your dog and you want to help prolong their life and you know and add so many benefits to their health care really I I find it truly incredible that veterinary professionals are smart people and many of them, not not all, obviously, but many of them look after their own health and eat well and exercise well and all of these things. And it's a tough profession in which to do that because you you can't guarantee you're going to get your lunch break at a precise time and you don't typically get your tea breaks at precise times. So actually, that is practically challenging in a day-to-day practice first opinion practice environment in many cases um and yet they are just not recognizing that the products that they're typically recommending for their patients are the equivalent of the high street brand processed foods that we're not going to mention (laughs) yeah yeah i know look you know Look, I've been living with dogs, Morag, for 57 years. Oops. Um, And, you know, I remember our vet when, you know, I was young, who would come to the house and look at our dogs and so on. And he was a family friend. And it was really quite James Herriot, really. Nothing like it is today. So I've kind of seen that and then progressed and you know, when Molly, my first, my own first dog as a grown up arrived over 20 years ago now, you know, I was I couldn't believe this, this, these bags of kibble. I didn't know what they were. Morag, the vet gave me a sort of welcome pack and I was like, oh, thank you. And I had this bag of stuff in it. And I was like, well, really? She said, no, this is what you feed her on. I was like, really? Anyway, I went in the bin on my way home, actually, because it was I could walk there. And I just thought, no, this is how you feed a dog. Surely you don't feed a dog. I mean, why is that? Cha- I mean, you know, I was like that. But anyway, mm. years have gone on, 20 years have passed, and, and it's all and more. And and it's all, you know, the same. And I, I have to ask, right, oh, dear, you know, the ethics of veterinary professionals at the moment I mean surely it's quite evident everyone knows that a dog's tongue can't move sideways or a vet should know that at Mm. least so why are they promoting still promoting and have been for over 20 years food that gets stuck in dog's teeth I mean we know ourselves if we eat a bit of dry you know cheese cracker or something it gets stuck in our teeth but you know we're lucky we can move our tongue around our mouth very freely and we can use our fingers to poke out any bits of biscuit you know but dogs can't do either of those things hence you know this huge rise in dental disease morag Mm. along with so much more you know obesity inflammation in the body being caused by inflammatory ingredients that, as you say, vets are brainy. I couldn't have become a vet because I couldn't really do science. And to be honest, Mm. I couldn't even dissect my rat in my O-level biology. So I I would have been rubbish. But Morag, over to you, you know, because you've been a vet nurse for a very long time at a very high level. Thank you for tactfully saying a very long time. It is a very long time. (laughs) Well, not that long, obviously, but, you know. (laughs) Well, I'm very lucky. I've worked with some truly amazing vets over the years. When I was training, which was over 30 years ago now, incredibly, it doesn't feel like it, but it was. Um, And I'm very, very lucky that I've worked with some amazing people um, and some very, very caring people. And I think um, 
the veterinary profession is really, really tough because veterinary surgeons have to learn about so many species of animal, so many body systems, so many different medications, so many surgical procedures. And they, they're smart people, but their brains are kind of the same size as everybody else's. And there's only so much information that one can possibly retain in over a professional career. And I think for some reason, nutrition has just really fallen by the wayside, both in their education in university. And it's not something that's seen as a priority when we're talking about small animals. If we're talking about food production animals, that is covered in more depth um, because, of course, there's a commercial benefit to that. You know, your vets, as a farmer, your vet's got to be in a position to help you to get the best out of your livestock. And, of course, that involves good nutrition. Whereas for our domestic pet animals, our family members, that just isn't covered to the same extent. And it's not uncommon that the people who provide that education in the veterinary schools are actually employees of the manufacturers of the very, very processed foods. Yeah. And so immediately there's some level of bias in the teaching that's going on in that situation. So vets come out as new graduates, not really understanding about nutrition as a, as a subject, but very often more understanding that company X produces product Y, which helps with disease P. And they're not understanding the process behind that. And I don't mean by that that they're, you know, they're stupid or they're not studying it or whatever. It's that the information that they're being given is very skewed. And for those vets that I'm lucky to work with now, many of whom are holistic and are using holistic therapies as well, but certainly not all of them. Um, there's one vet who helped us recently at the London Vet Show. who's a very, very conventional first opinion vet. And she said to me, which I think is so important, that food is one of her primary therapies for her patients. And she doesn't do anything holistic like homeopathy, herbs, acupuncture, any of those things, nothing at all. She's absolutely mainstream, conventional, first opinion, general practitioner. And she said those very, very words. And that that's wonderful. Really, truly wonderful. We need no, more of her. We do need more of her. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's very, very exciting. You know, I mean, look, I've always been absolutely obsessed by what I eat it was just something I was interested in as, as as a kid and then it grew and it grew and it grew I was going to be a dietitian um and then didn't do that um but it fueled all my knowledge you know on nutrition into you know learning about species appropriate nutrition and I've always realized basically because my dad was you know <laughs> I think dogs just eat meat, right? Because they're a carnivore. I mean, it was just obvious. So anyway, but no, it is very good because so much can be done just with nutrition. Let's leave homeopathy and everything out of it for this one. Look, Hippocrates said in 600 BC, right? Let medicine be thy food and food be thy medicine. 
So no one can claim that this is new or kind of out there. This is basic stuff. So I just hope that the work that the Raw Feeding Vet Society, of which you are one of the original founders, Morag, can continue this crusade almost. Well, that's very much what we're trying to do. And our real emphasis is not to necessarily convert absolutely everybody to encouraging people to feed raw because people are doing that pet owners are doing that for themselves they're educating themselves in exactly the way that you describe you've obviously gone into it into a very you know deep level but pet owners as we can see from the number of raw food companies that are growing and developing over the most recent years and some of them been around for a very very long time back in the 80s so again as you said this isn't new even when we look at the pet food industry it's not new and what we're encouraging vets to do is exactly what was happening at this recent CPD event is just to open their eyes and to recognize that their clients and their patients are choosing this lifestyle or that their clients are choosing the lifestyle for their pets would be more accurate. But I can't imagine many dogs are going to be choosing highly processed food over real species appropriate raw meat, bones, actual real foods, given the choice. Um, and, and that's what we want to encourage. And we have a series of videos that are called Are You Raw Curious? On our available on our website. And we chose that title because that's really what we want. We want people just to start to be curious about this, to start to recognize that this is something that's happening. Whatever they may think about it, 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 it's happening. They have patients who are fed like this. And I hear stories all the time of people who've been to their vet and their, their pet's been poorly. And the vet has completely blamed it on the food. And I used to joke with some of my colleagues when I was working in first opinion practice, you know, they'd say that I had two very elderly dogs and um, they'd say, oh gosh, you know, isn't, isn't Harry amazing for his age? And, you know, how old is he? And look at his teeth and look at this and look at that. And isn't that mar marvellous? And then the conversation would get around to what I fed him and it was all wrong and terrible and dreadful. Well, it just doesn't make any sense at all, does it? You can't, on the one hand, be saying this, you know, 17-year-old dog looks incredible and amazing and fit and all his bloods are wonderful and so on. And he did have some health problems, obviously, at that age. Of course he did. But then say that the way I'm feeding him is inappropriate or unsafe or all of these negative things. It just makes no sense, does it? No, you see, that's that's the funny thing. I remember having that with Molly, my first miniature bull terrier, a conventional vet. I won't name who actually was um, on the radio and Moles was in the studio and he guessed her age, you know, and he put her at three when she was nine. So that wow. was really good. Yeah, because of her teeth. So she had yeah. she was genetically predisposed to having good teeth, Molly. Mind you, bull terriers generally are actually, but... You see, look, it's the cynic in me again. I mean, I just really hope we can push out of this. But if this vet at the London Vet Show, who sounds amazing, that champions raw, you know, without the homeopathy and all the rest mm. of it, because it is a separate entity and it's exactly. right. Nutrition's got nothing to do with homeopathy, really. And you don't have to be a homeopath to feed raw. And I think it's important to get that message across, perhaps for some people, you Definitely. know. Who, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, 
I wonder if she ever thinks, gosh, my practice could be earning more money if I encourage people to feed dry food. Call that the cynic in me. I just I just see the vet practices in London now. I mean, I, you can hardly get an appointment, but when you do, and I've been in the situation, unfortunately, well, only once in my life with, with prudence where I was forced to give prudence. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it was a situation I, ha- oh, I had to give prudence this anti-sickness injection or they would never see me again. I really felt that pressure because I was going, no, 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 I, I, I don't do injections and everything. And and anyway, this this one injection actually caused a huge amount of problems, which we won't go into now. And anyway, a bill that cost me over £8,000. And it was, you know, and yeah, and they, they have been quite sorry about it, really. So, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm terrified to go to a vet, Morag, I'll be honest with you. It, it's like, it's like, worse for me than going to a dentist and having root canal treatment Mm. because of the hostility I get you know because they don't you know I don't go in going look I'm Anna Webb I'm a canine nutritionist Um, I just you know book an appointment and then you know the fury I've I've had at feeding raw over the years and having to stand my ground I mean it's dreadful as a customer absolutely awful and that you know and so there's there's still a long way to go. Look, I'm, we're, we're sort of going around in circles. But, you know, I do feel this is a year, you know, I really would love to help champion change on this because, you know, so much pain is incurred with owning a dog. Yes, all the great benefits. But, you know, when they, they start to get ill and, and so many dogs get ill so young that it, it causes heartbreak for the owners. And so many owners, you know, really want to do the right thing. And unfortunately... Sometimes less is more, isn't it, Morag? Absolutely. And it sounds like you've had a truly horrendous experience. And that's I'm I'm very sad to hear that. Um, and I guess as with everything, there are vets who are wonderful and compassionate and really understand the relationship that we have with our pets, who are in very many cases members of our families. Um and th- there are undoubtedly vets who really, really understand that and uh, and are compassionate and respectful. And there are other vets who I think I, that I'm completely convinced that they do not set out to create this fear. But through not listening to your lifestyle choices for your animals and through not understanding why you've made those choices, they, they they do run the risk of alienating their clients. And you're absolutely not alone in this. I, I hear it um, in my in some of my other roles as a veterinary nurse, time after time after time, where people have been really told off for feeding their pet um, a raw diet. And things have, crazy things have been blamed on the fact that they feed a raw diet. And we it, it's important that we recognise that a raw diet isn't the right thing for every single pet in the whole wide world. And it's not the right thing necessarily for every family situation. For example, if you've got somebody who's had an organ transplant, is on very, very high doses of immune suppressive drugs, it might be that you would be better off feeding feeding real food, absolutely feeding real food, but a lightly cooked real food rather than a raw real food. Because there are enough risks in your life if you if, if for example you are immune suppressed 
without adding one that we can still do a really good job for the family pet without um, adding an additional risk. And that's where working with a vet who really, really understands nutrition is so important because they will be able to support you to do a really good job for your pet and for your family, your individual family situation. Because of course, all our family situations are different and it could be really practical things like how much freezer space do you have? Yes, the freezer space. Oh, Morag, you know, that's that, that, that dire issue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, I like like yourself, actually. So I know you do behaviour work as well, Morag, which is which is wonderful. And I make, you know, I do change all the dog's diets that I see, you know, because the relationship, of course, with behaviour, you know, as, as well as health, you know, what you eat affects your moods. You know, Absolutely. we all know about sugar spikes. I'm I'm a key example of that, you know, really. I'm and caffeine highs and lows. Um and 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 I'm I am a victim myself. So yeah, so it is it is about the right food for you know, individuals and individual situations for sure, isn't it? It really is. And I think, again, speaking with my, I'm very lucky because all my work hats kind of come together in such a lovely way. So speaking as a behaviourist, which obviously links in with being a veterinary nurse, which very much links in with the Royal Feeding Veterinary Society and Royal Safe, as a behaviourist, I really recognise the importance of food, both from the biochemistry point of view because of course the body can't produce all those neurotransmitters and everything that it needs to be able to feel happy calm relaxed safe if the diet is inappropriate because if the diet is inappropriate the gut microbiome will be inappropriate we know that so much of these things are created by the gut microbiome as it interacts with the food that's been eaten And also there's the very practical element of how do you deliver that food? Dogs have a fundamental need to rip, chew, tear, hunt in many cases. And if we don't meet those behavioral needs for those dogs, they're going to find a way of meeting those needs, which might be ripping your sofa cushions or, you know, ripping their bed or all sorts of behaviors, which a lot of people would look at that dog being naughty and it's really not being naughty. It's trying to fulfill a need, a really fundamental need that it has and make itself feel better by so doing. So if we can provide, for example, a raw meaty bone that they can rip and chew and tear, then we've met part of that need. If we hide that bone and they have to go and hunt for it, clearly we can't all send our dogs out hunting for their dinner. That's not appropriate for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> But we can emulate that by hiding food items for them to find and then to rip and chew and tear. And that could be as simple as putting some food in an old egg box and hiding that. And they go and find it, which is using their scent systems and using their seeking systems. And then they rip the cardboard box. It's a bit messy. You have to pick up the bits of cardboard afterwards. But you've you've done a really, really good thing for, for, that, for that dog. And there's ways of... You know, obviously different breeds of dogs will have different um, elements of those behavioral needs and that's where working with somebody to meet your individual dog's needs in a way that fits into your family and your lifestyle and everything is so so valuable 
Oh, it really is. It really is. And lots of people are trying so hard, Morag, to do the best at the moment and and speaking to professionals. And yeah, yeah, I was at a consult actually last week and they were so concerned about what they're feeding and a lovely Bichon. And she said, right, this is everything and put it all out on the kitchen counter. Okay, so here's a bin. And I just go through this and bin whatever you think is appropriate to be binned. It was such a, yeah, honestly, it was hilarious. Um, And she went, really, that one? And I went, sorry, sweet potato. And um, it was was a funny moment. But, you know, and and there is help out there for for lots of people. And your behaviour centre is called Gellert, isn't it, Morag? That's right. Yes. And that's um, when I was setting the business up many, many years ago now, I was wondering what on earth I could call this business. And I quite literally woke up in the middle of the night remembering the story of Gellert um, that's related to the place Beth Gellert in the north of Wales. And it's a very sad story, but it actually, for me, it completely sums up how we misunderstand our dogs and other animals, of course. But it it was a good example because very short version of the story. And it is a made up story. It's not a real story. Is it? Oh, no. Yes, I'm sorry. How do you know that? Oh, no. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to tell you this. No, no. Things happened, you know, way back in the dark ages. Probably similar things did happen. (laughs) But the story goes that this Welsh prince was out hunting one day and he missed his favourite hunting dog. And when he got back home, he had left his baby at home and the dog was supposed to be looking after the baby in the house. And he came home and there was a horrible scene of something really dreadful had happened. And he thought that his dog had harmed the baby. But in fact, when he looked properly after sadly killing his dog, he discovered that the dog had actually killed a wolf and it was the wolf that had harmed the baby and not his dog. And he was absolutely devastated. And the story is that the, the dog was buried in this very lovely place at um, Beth Gellert in North Wales. And whether the story is true or not, it's a, it's a lovely place to visit. And for me, it, it really summarises how often we misunderstand our dog's behaviours and that's true of cats and horses and any other animals that live with us. We, we, we look at things through our human eyes. And a lot of what I do is I describe it as interpreting for the animal and saying, well, actually, if we look at this, knowing what we know about the ethology of that animal and knowing what that animal's needs are, and we look at what they're doing through that lens we understand that what they're actually trying to do is meet this fundamental need that they have. And if you, as that animal's caregiver, were to make these changes, you will be providing the opportunities for them to meet that need in an appropriate way, not in a way that's causing you a problem or a worry or a danger. And then everybody's everybody's happy again. And that's, that's really the, the summary of my work. And I'm so lucky now that there are so many professionals who are evolving away from the very training the very operant model of training and recognizing all of this emotional stuff we absolutely factually know from hard science that our, our, certainly our dogs and many other mammals have pretty much the same physical structures in their brains and bodies and produce the same 
neurochemicals, neurotransmitters, etc., that you and I do. And just because we can say, oh, I'm feeling sad because of this, or I'm frustrated by that, or I'm angry about the other, or I'm excited about this, we can say that in words as well as demonstrating it in our behavior. Our animal companions, our dogs, cannot do anything apart from express it in their behavior. They lack that, that verbal means of communication. So it's for us to learn their language. I live in a very, very Welsh speaking community and I moved there two and a half years ago and I've worked really hard to learn to speak Welsh because it's important in this community. It's kind of the same thing, you know, if you're going to welcome an animal into your life, you're going to live with a dog in your home. Really, ideally, we should be doing everything we can to learn to understand that animal's language, that dog's language, so that we can we can interact with it in a way that makes sense to it rather than expecting it to learn our language and dogs are so 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 good at putting up with us and and at coping with our strange human quirks and the funny things that we do and and accommodating that but not all dogs can some dogs find that very worrying very unpredictable very scary and if they are, are that type of dog and their diet is inappropriate, it's kind of the perfect storm for that relationship to go horribly wrong. And we all know that happens. We've only got to look at the overcrowded rescue centres to, to realise how often that relationship goes just horribly, badly, terribly, terribly wrong. And it's sad. It's very, very sad for everybody. Oh, it is. No, totally. And of course, then the wheel keeps turning. You know, that dog then, because of anxiety and a poor immune system, will get the skin issues. And then we'll have loads of medication that will make the immune system weaker. And it will spiral and spiral. And, you know, things like chewing paws for anxious dogs and, Mm -hmm. and, and those types of small, small things, really, that, you know, are easily fixable without even going to the vet, I would, you know, dare to say. And teeth, you know, another one. But, you know, no more, I so agree on the behaviour and learning to speak dog, you know, Mm. as you say, that's such an interesting parallel of going to Wales. On another note, you know, I've been a bit hooked by Emily in Paris on Netflix, which I'm sure some listeners have also been watching. And it's exactly the same because I worked in Paris for two years. And I'm telling you, if I hadn't had French in my vocabulary... I wouldn't have gone anywhere because they don't reward any bad behaviour. So if you can't, which is being highlighted very well on Emily in in Paris. It's a a silly, fun Netflix series that I'm not involved in. So I don't know why I'm promoting it, but it's a similar, (laughs) it's a similar, it's a similar thing, you know, and the French are great at it. You don't speak French. Well, I'm not talking to you. And really, Mm. it's something we all need to learn, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And if you're going to welcome uh, another species of animal into your life, and with our dogs particularly, they're sharing our homes, uh, which is very different from you know your horse that's going to live in a field or whatever other type of animal that, that doesn't directly live in your home. I think dogs and cats, slight, slightly different relationship with cats, but dogs particularly share our lives so intensely. It's such an intense relationship that to, to not understand them and not everybody like you and I have grown up with dogs and that they've been part of our the majority of our lives in various situations 
Um, not everybody has that. You know, lots of people, their first experience of sharing their home with a dog is as an adult, maybe with the pressures of young children involved as well. And I'm in awe of anybody who manages to um, successfully raise young children. My goodness, that's hard work. Um, and if you're trying to do that and do a really good job of raising a puppy that's that's really really challenging and takes it's not a it's not a thing to be undertaken lightly and my one wish as a behavior well and as a veterinary nurse if I could only get hold of people before they choose to have a puppy or a rescue dog um and 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 really set them up with some good information some good education some good preparation then there would be so many fewer problems. And I guess that would be doing you and I out of some work, Anna. But I think I'm sure you would agree with me that yeah, I would love there to be a situation where all dogs were happy and healthy and didn't need oh. our input. That would be truly amazing, wouldn't well, it? That, that, that would be amazing because back in the day, that's how it was. Exactly. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, there weren't any dog trainers. I mean, why would no. you need a dog training? It was very easy to train your dogs. It isn't rocket science. And I don't profess that it is. What I was going to say, no, I'm all about bringing in the dog license, Morag. I'm all about, you know, having an exam, like when you learn to drive a car, yes. you know, before you drive a car, right? I mean, you know, um, having points on your license for when incidents happen, you know, um, because likely you haven't socialized, trained your dog enough or, or whatever it might be, you know, with reward schemes and a centralized database, which would really help with, of course, something else that we've seen this surge and ongoing surge in dog theft as dogs have become mm. an accessory, you know, a status symbol. We normally think of status symbols as big you know, bull breeds with kids with hoods on in, in London, you know, a status symbol. But, you know, a chihuahua wearing a pearl necklace is, is similarly a brand status symbol, isn't it? Now, dogs should not be that. So I think there needs to be a massive shift in understanding what a dog is. I know you agree with me on this and, and really why you're bringing a dog into your life when you're palming it to a dog crash most days and dog walkers, because that's not the solution. No, and and um, you're right. I do absolutely agree with you. And you know, there are some absolutely wonderful dog crashes, but I genuinely don't understand why you would choose to have a dog and it spend the majority of its time with other people. I, I really don't understand that. Now, maybe, maybe you know, I've, I'm incredibly fortunate that I've been able, and it's taken me a long, long time to be able to sort of organise my life in such a way that I can spend the majority of my time with my dogs. And I do have a wonderful dog sitter because there are occasions when actually my main reason for that is because I've got a very, very elderly dog who doesn't enjoy travelling and new experiences now. And so he stays at home with, with her, um, apart from when we go to see my godson's family, because he absolutely adores the children and he's very happy to go there. And that's something that happens very regularly. So he feels safe. He knows everything that's going on there. But I, 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 I genuinely don't understand having a dog and leaving it in daycare five days a week and some basically somebody else rearing your dog for you and having such influence over how your dog is and then very often the problems that are arising from that now there are fabulous daycares who provide an amazing dog-centered service 
there are fabulous dog walkers who do a really 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 good job there are also people who definitely don't do a good job and of course it's a completely unregulated industry as is behavior as is training um, there's a lot of work being done to change that um, there's the UK charter now which has got very very high standards for including organizations and those organizations of course have to have their own very very high standards for their members and you know there needs to be something similar for these other related organizations because otherwise absolutely anybody can set up a facility which could be good bad or indifferent and um and, and problems ensue which you and i see sadly on a regular basis yes and it's um it's a new thing you know and i just feel sad because yeah, it all began in i remember 2005 it all started to take off that you didn't walk your own dog you know mm. um who's got time to do that you hire a dog walker dog walkers then suddenly became available they certainly weren't around in 2002 and you found as you say a dog sitter yes but through people that you knew you know yes. you know um, recommended by people that you knew so that that's how it worked. Um, and that's certainly how I've I've always done it. No, there's a, a, a lot to sort out. I think the UK charter is very interesting. And I'm actually trailing ahead here. Shelby speaking to Andrew Hale very soon, oh, Morag, who I know you know very I well. I do. I yes. hold very high regard. Yes, no, he's he's brilliant. Well, he's got a human psychology degree, you know, like yes. a bit like me, you see. So that's quite interesting. So there's there, and I really hope people today have Listen to Morag because you know your wealth of experience is is massive, and you've worked in the profession and you've championed change from the inside out, which I think is always difficult, no matter who you know in what profession it is. So yes. um, I really look forward to having another chat, uh, Morag, about raw safe, particularly as one of your key educational strands. Excellent. Well, we'd love to talk about that in, in more detail. It's a really important initiative that's co-owned with the Royal Feeding Veterinary Society because we mentioned earlier that there was a huge growth in manufacturers of raw pet foods and our veterinary colleagues rightly have some concerns because not all manufacturers are equal and we felt very strongly that it was important to have an independent um, accreditation of those manufacturers who are doing an excellent job and there are very big plans which we can perhaps look at on an, another occasion for that. Yes no I'd, I'd love that Morag and I, I know that the food I, I feed my gang on is raw safe approved so I'm really chuffed about that I will plug them Paleo Ridge. Excellent. Yes yes no, I mean yes I agree the variety of brands golly and there has been such a surge in raw so I think it's so important now that we have the RFES to guide and credit and educate, really. Exactly. And we welcome, obviously, our primary focus is on our veterinary colleagues and helping and supporting them and providing them with reliable science-based information. But we also welcome, we've got affiliate members who are manufacturers. That's something completely separate from Real Safe. But we're very, very grateful to them for supporting us. They're all listed on our website if you're interested to see who they may be. 
And we, we obviously welcome more and more of those because the more members we have, the more work we can do towards research, towards supporting, towards improving nutrition for our dogs and cats. Um, and we welcome anybody, whether you're, you know, just in inverted commas, a very motivated pet owner, we welcome you as members as well because there's an opportunity for you to learn and it, to support us and to help us to get as much research done as we possibly can that's that's good and independent and looking at things because we, we we just don't know. There are all sorts of things that we don't know about species-appropriate nutrition. There's a lot of very, very common sense things that we we, we know and really, as, as you will understand, are, are just so common sense, it's so obvious that why would you even have a conversation about it? But there are more subtle things, particularly related to um, dogs that have some form of health issue that we do need to know more about. We do need to understand more. And knowledge is power. The more we know, the better we can do for our dogs. And that's massively important. So all support gratefully received. No, massive. And that's the beauty of nutrition. It's a field that's changing as we do have the great science to investigate the interplay of nutrients and, and our own biochemistry, whether it's human or dog. I mean, there's so Absolutely. much to learn and it, it never stands still, which is also so, so wonderful. So, oh, Morag, well, look, thank you again for joining us today. And let's uh, get a date in the diary for the next one. Wonderful. I'd be very, very happy to do that. Thank you again for inviting me. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, it was interesting to learn about Gellert training as well as about all the benefits of feeding raw. And you're right, it is time for Woof of the Week. <coughs> Let's never forget this. But it's simple. You are what you eat. <coughs> Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again, of course, to Morag for joining us on the show today. And all the links are in our show notes. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen, my producer, for all the music and production as ever. Find out more about him and his company at Pod People UK. And for me, I'm just at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. Well thought. We do have a Patreon service. So if you fancy just giving us a little tip for something that you might have learned in today's episode, check out the Patreon site. The link is in the show notes. And of course, if you subscribe today, you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye.